Welcome back to season two of the Ivy League Prep Academy podcast, equipping you to successfully pursue the college of your dreams. We believe everyone deserves to reach their full potential and the admissions process shouldn't hold you back. Today, I wanna give a big shout out to the parents out there. And yes, teens, if you're listening in and you feel like, oh boy, not my parents, my parents are the annoying parents. Uh, Teens, if you feel that way, and I know a lot of you do, I taught in high schools for a very long time, and I know that it's really common for teenagers to feel like, man, their parents are the most annoying human beings on the planet. But I'm going to make a bet. Uh, I would be willing to bet for almost all of you teens who feel annoyed by your parents, the more annoyed you feel by your parents, the more likely it is that you have parents that care deeply about you. And they're anxious for you, and they worry about you, and they care. And sometimes in their attempts to improve situations for you or to to try to look out for you, they do things that, you know, violate some of what you're hoping to experience. That maybe you you feel like uh, you resent some of the stuff that they're doing because you don't want to be controlled by them. And it feels like they're being controlling or, or whatever. There are a number of different things that parents can do trying so hard to help out with their teens and their teen situations that teens end up resenting and feeling annoyed by. And I want to shout out to the parents because the reason why you're doing so much, the reason why you are trying so hard is because oftentimes you feel like, man, it's on me. Parents feel this way. They feel like, ah, it's on me. I've got to motivate my teen. I've got to inspire my teen. My teen doesn't have it all put together. And so it's on, I need to figure out a way to get them on track. But teens have a hard time with that when it comes from the parents. They're going to discount your comments, first of all, because they assume that you're biased, right? You're obligated to say kind things to them. They're, you're obligated to say that they're wonderful or they're brilliant or they have a great idea or whatever. So they're going to assume that you're biased. Or if you're on the other side of the spectrum and you're more critical as a parent because you feel like being critical is going to help them perform at a higher level, oftentimes teens misinterpret that as well. They feel like, man, she just never understands how hard I work or all of the good things that I do. All she sees are my weaknesses. And so there's this kind of never-ending uh, experience for, from the teen's perspective that my parents are biased and all they see is what they choose to see, right? They're, of course, they're going to say I'm wonderful because that's what they're obligated to say or the exact opposite. All she sees are my weaknesses and my struggles. All he complains about or all he says to me is is how I am not good enough in this or that and points out my weaknesses instead of recognizing how hard I work or or what I do well. And so the first reason that, that teens have a hard time accepting motivation or inspiration from their parents often is because they have this perception that parents are really biased. And another thing is that they don't want to be controlled. Like we just mentioned a few seconds ago, Teens are in this stage where biologically it's totally normal and healthy for them to begin to push boundaries and begin to try to explore, to explore on a deeper level, to explore not just the what are the boundaries, but why. And their brains are developing and they're starting to get to that stage where they don't want to be controlled. And parents can easily come across as being controlling. Right. And so teens are going to resist advice that comes from parents because they don't want to be controlled. And this is true even from world class experts. I literally I love this anecdote, but this is totally true. 
I'm not going to share names here, but on two separate occasions, I've had lunch with Harvard professors who are literally considered the top thought leader in their field who have complained to me about their teenage children who feel like they're stupid and they don't know anything about what they're saying. Even when they are literally the best person to go to for advice in this field in the whole world, teens just feel that resistance, right? They're going to resist you even if you know what you're talking about because they don't want to be controlled. And as illogical or as unhelpful as that might be for the teenager, that's just how they feel. And there's not a lot that you can do about that as a parent. And I think, parents, you can probably think back to when you were going through this stage as well. And you felt like your parents also, at least for a time when you were growing up, you probably felt like your parents were biased, that they didn't see who you really were. They just didn't understand you. They only saw your history. They thought you were still a little child. Or when you felt like they were trying to control you and you were big enough that you could have made decisions on your own, but they didn't let you. And you resisted their advice, even though later on, you look back and you say, oh man, that was really good advice, right? Even if very quickly you turned around and decided that their advice was valuable, there was a time when you can relate. And I certainly can relate to this as well, right? When I was in high school, even more a little bit in middle school, I started resisting probably earlier on and started to appreciate my parents perhaps earlier than some of my peers did as well. But regardless, there was quite a time throughout middle school and high school, even into college, where I was far more influenceable through a coach, through someone who was not a member of my family, than from my parents. So I competed in debate at the collegiate level uh, in college. And my debate coach was a national champion. He'd won gold at, at nationals. And he was an incredible coach. And I remember so clearly, uh, this was before a big tournament and I was being registered in an event that I had never done before, okay? Even in high school, I hadn't even done this event, and here I was going to a big tournament, and I was still doing the style of debate that I was very good at and I felt confident with, but he was also registering me for a brand new event that I had never done before. I was going to be competing in something new. And he could see that there was some trepidation on my face or something, I'm not sure, but he asked to speak with me. And we spoke, and I will never forget what he said. He said, you know what? You're going to feel nervous. And that's a good thing. Your nerves bring out the best in you. Oh my goodness. So powerful. For the rest of my life, I have heard his voice over and over and over again saying, nerves bring out the best in you. And I would consider those six or seven seconds in that conversation to be some of the most influential seconds of my life. I just, every time I face a circumstance where I'm scared, where I'm nervous, where I'm not sure if I'm good enough, I'm not sure how I'm going to compete, I'm feeling anxious, I remember nerves bring out the best in you. And I have been able to say, look, I'm nervous and that's great. That's going to enhance my performance. Only later on, over a decade later, did I discover that there's a ton of neuroscience behind that that actually fear and excitement have the exact same chain of events inside of your body and that your body can't tell the difference between fear and excitement. You have to give meaning to the emotional experience that you're having because the experience in your body is exactly the same, right? The, the hormones that are released, the, the differences chemically that are occurring inside your body are happening at the exact same time and same sequence, whether you are nervous or whether you're excited. 
And so I learned early on that nerves bring out the best in you. And before I knew the science behind it, I was already channeling my thoughts so that when I felt nervous, it was bringing out the best in me. It made me excited. Later on, when I read about research studies that actually clarify what you need to do when you're feeling nervous is say, oh man, I'm so excited about this. And just breathe a little bit deeper and say, this is gonna be amazing. And use those nerves to bring out the best in you. Well, now I can add the, I'm so excited about this. I can't wait for this to begin or whatever. I can add that self-talk as well. But for me, I've already trained myself to know that nerves bring out the best in me. And instead of feeling fear, I feel excitement. That's how my body has processed this because of a coach many, many years ago. And I am so glad that I can play that role in the Ivy League Challenge. You know, this year we've had another extremely successful admission cycle where, and we're not even to the regular decision uh, decisions yet, right? But our early decision results have been fantastic. And one of the parents whose, whose child got into an Ivy League school, so pr this particular one is going to Yale next year. And congratulations, wonderful job. And when she was just sharing all of this excitement and, and how wonderful it was, there were several comments that she made that I just smiled at. He prioritizes sleep. Instead of feeling frustrated because he doesn't have enough time to fit everything in, and then figuring out that the only way to fit another thing in is to stay up a little bit later or to wake up a little bit earlier, he's saying no to new activities and new ideas. And he's finding ways to be more productive throughout the day because he is prioritizing sleep. I don't know what you did. It's amazing. And another parent who talked about, how did you get my child to delete Instagram or to delete Snapchat? And I laugh because I never told them to delete Instagram or Snapchat, but we definitely talked about how common sense is not common practice. And we talked about how we need to prioritize sleep so that our brains can function correctly. And we talked about one of the keys to prioritizing sleep is to get off of screens about an hour before you go to bed, if at all possible and never be scrolling on, on social media right before bed or right when you wake up in the morning. So yeah, we've talked about some of those things. And when I do my boot camp with rising seniors and there's just months to go between now and the time that you are going to get your applications turned in and then start working on scholarships and there's really no extra minutes in your day, in that boot camp, I encourage my seniors to delete their social media just for a couple of months and then to turn it back on if they want it back on later on. But I never do that in the regular cohort. And so here's this uh, teen who decided to delete Snapchat and Instagram so that he could be more productive. And uh, the parent just asked, man, how did you do that? I mean, it's so magical. I I've, I've been trying to get my teen to have better phone behavior for all these years. And then he takes a class and suddenly, without me saying a word, he's volunteering. He's asking me if I can take his phone overnight. Wow, what a difference. How miraculous. How do you do this? And what I think is interesting is plenty of parents have as much expertise as I do, or perhaps even more, in how teenagers can function or perform at a high level. I'm not, I'm not saying that every parent does. I have taught in high school and middle school and college for a long time. And so I understand that process and, and education perhaps better than most parents. And I have done a lot of training on neuroscience and high performance. And, and so there are some things that maybe I do know 
better than some teens' parents. But there are plenty of parents who know plenty of things that their teens could be doing to improve their lives, to improve their high school uh, success, their high school experience, their preparation for college, etc. But just the fact that I'm coming from a different perspective, that I'm not the parent, that they're not worried about me being biased or, or applying my perception of what I wish they could be because, you know, whatever. And also the fact that I'm not trying to control them. I, I don't have any interest in controlling them. And so they're not, they don't have their guard up around that. They're not trying to resist me because they think I'm trying to control them. Just the fact that I play a different role than the parents means that teens are going to listen differently. And I'm really proud and really honored and humbled to play that role for so many families. And as more and more families have discovered that that's actually what's happening, I wanted to explain one extra layer here because a lot of the success that occurs in the Ivy League Challenge is not because I'm not a parent and so I'm playing the role of a coach or a mentor and not the role of a parent or teacher. And that is just a different dynamic. And yes, that does help tremendously. But I wanted to help explain to the parents out there the second reason why the Ivy League Challenge is so powerful at helping teens move through this journey that is so important for them at this time is that we make it social. We have a community. We meet as a cohort. And I teach these concepts and then I put the students into breakout rooms. And for example, when we talk about the health challenge and the fact that your physical body, it just doesn't matter how ambitious you are if your physical body cannot doesn't have the stamina to support your ambition, right? And so we talk about when we discuss that common sense is not common practice, we talk about how to take care of your body. Later on, when we talk about prioritization and, and time management, and we talk about the way you manage your time and your energy, all of that is, again, common sense stuff that teens have probably heard before. But because we're doing it in a community of like-minded people, of other teens, and I'm teaching best practices that everyone's already heard before, we already know that it's better to get nine hours of sleep than to get seven hours of sleep, and certainly better to get seven than it is to get four. And we all know these things. We all know that we shouldn't stay up late death scrolling on social media. But somehow, when you add the social component and you say, all right, here's the science, here's what most people do, but common sense says we should do this. And it's those little things that we do that if we do them consistently are going to give us the greatest returns in life. So we teach these simple ideas, teens understand it, then we put them in breakout rooms and teens discuss together. Well, how did you remember to do this or to do that? How did you get to bed by that time instead of this time? And teens, when they discuss with each other, suddenly it's, it's more real. This is particularly important, as I've said before on this podcast, particularly important when we get into psychology, the psychology of excellence and the psychology of, of ambition. And when we learn the difference between healthy ambition and then tipping that one degree too far past healthy ambition and you get into desperation. And how do we tell the difference? And teens can discuss this, not only understand the science and understand that this is something to pay attention to, but also they can discuss with each other what the best practices are and give each other advice and learn from each other when we talk about fear and the psychology of ambition, right? And, and how so many teens, when we decide to go do something ambitious or decide to go do something great or to commit ourselves to something that we really care about, often we're afraid that we're gonna lose something important. We'll experience loss pain or that the process of doing this thing is gonna be difficult. We'll experience process pain 
or we'll work so hard for so long only to get an outcome that we didn't want. We're not going to succeed in the end anyway. Or even if we succeed, it doesn't give us the life that we were looking for. And that's called outcome pain. So we teach about the psychology of where these fears come from. We define our fears individually, and then boom, we're into breakout rooms and discussing it with a community. And I just want to say that parents, it's not all on you. You don't need to be the one who motivates and inspires every element of your teen's success. Leverage the power of a community of like-minded teens and leverage the power of a mentor or a coach, someone who is not a parent and not a teacher, someone who's outside of that realm, who is not bringing in all this baggage to the experience so that the teens can be in a position that they can listen, they can learn, they can grow. Music for this episode came from We Are Here by Declare P. I'm Steve Gardner. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share with a friend. Thanks for listening.